good to hear your voice again, Julie. It really is. Thank you. So I have a lot of big topics to talk about this morning, if you're ready. Are you ready? Okay, good. Okay, I have kind of a strange example, but just stick with me here. Um, uh, yesterday I was out at the F1 uh, race to see the qualifying race for today's final. It was really exciting, and uh, I love to watch fast cars, so there you have it. Um, and then after the concert was the, um, I mean, after the race was the Billy Joel concert. And it's, I, I saw Billy Joel back in the 80s um, when he was, you know, at the height of his career. I guess the height of his career, the height of his uh, album and CD sales, no, cassette tape sales. <laughs> um, I don't think he was, I think he came after eight track tapes, but I'm pretty sure there were cassette tapes. And so hearing him was like hearing him 40 years ago. Uh, he sounded the same. He has a whole lot less hair, like none. But, but he sounded great. And you know it's sometimes hard when an artist is live to recapture what happens when it's done in the studio. But he did. He did. So here's the way I was thinking of it. <clears throat> so here is the 19... Here's the 1980s, and here is now. And those two points came together like they, there was no distance in between them. You know what I mean. Uh, that's what memories are good for, because they bring the past and the now together as though time did not exist, because time is a construct that we have. So now I'm going to ask you to stretch that a little bit. If this is the present, and this is what is to come, can you see how those two things can become one point also? I mean, it's not a one-way thing. It's like everything is now. It's just that we don't have a record of the future like we have a record of the past. So we have the opportunity to be more creative in the present so that we are making a recording for the future. Okay? So I'm just kind of compressing time. You're with me, yes? <clears throat> Henry David Thoreau said a few years ago, <laughs> he said that we have the opportunity to usher in a new world in which people of awareness will live in what he called the license of a higher order of being. The license of a higher order of being. Now, I like that idea. I like the idea, since we've been talking about the shift that we're engaged in right now, and our, all of our readings this morning have reinforced that. We have the opportunity now to see how we're going to become that higher order of being. And it's up to us to do that. I mean, who else is going to do that? There is not a they that's going to create a better future for us. It is, they, they is us. And so that's what 
we're about right now and we have the opportunity to be even more conscious about doing that we cannot be unconscious anymore we cannot live on autopilot anymore we are examining everything we believe everything we have done everything that has brought us to this point in time everything that is compressing to this one vital moment so that we can see who we want to be Oh, listen, it's me. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Talk about compressing those moments, man. <laughs> she sounded pr pretty good, so that's, that's nice. So I'm going to be talking to you today and using some quotes from people in the past because those points are no less relevant um, now than they were back then. Pierre Teilhard Pierre de Chardin was born the same, <laughs> golly, he died the same year I was born, 1955. So just do the math. And, um, and he said something that I was, had I not known that he wrote these words prior to that moment, I would have thought that they were about now. And it was, my, um, it was my summary from my talk today. There is now incontrovertible evidence that mankind, humankind, that's the other thing. I'm gonna change the language a little bit because humankind sounds more human. Humankind has just entered upon the greatest period of change the world has ever known. If only he knew. And perhaps he did. You see? You see, that's, that's why our important teachers are important to us because their words are timeless. The ills from which we are suffering have had their seat in the very foundation of human thought. And we know this is true. But today, something is happening to the whole structure of human consciousness. A fresh kind of life is starting. In the face of such an upheaval, actually shaken by it, no one can remain indifferent. Swept along by the tide of affairs, what can we do to see clearly and act decisively? No matter what reactions we may have to current events, we ought first to reaffirm a robust faith in the destiny of humankind. This is a time in which we can actually uh, have not very good faith in humankind. We've, we've kind of seen the worst of us. At least I, I hope that's, that we're seeing the worst of us. I don't, I don't want us to get any worse. So we have this chance, like Teilhard de Chardin said, like Thoreau said, to shape and to change and to shift. I was reminded, because a lot of what I've been studying is about the uh, idea of prosperity and abundance, the idea of, of, the, of spirit as source of everything, that there is no limit to it, that it is available to us, and that we shape how, it, how God's abundance comes to us all the time. So I had uh, 
meeting this last week with the Ministerial Alliance here in Wimberley. And it was a small meeting. It was a minister from uh, Cypress Creek Church. It was hosted at St. Stephen's Episcopal, so uh, Father Kevin was there. First Baptist Church and um, Jim Denham's church. Um, Chapel of the Hills, thank you. And me. So it was me and the guys had a, had a ministerial alliance meeting. And it was really, really encouraging to see that most of our conversation was about how we are taking care of people who need to be taken care of. That's what we were talking about. We were talking about the crisis bread basket. We were talking about uh, the Barnabas connection. We were talking about uh, what the Ministerial Alliance does to make sure that people are fed, that people have what they need to live their lives. And there wasn't any discussion about whether or not we ought to. It was a matter of fact. There was not discussion about whether it was the right or wrong thing to do based on your ideology or politics. It was just a matter of fact that we take care of people. It doesn't matter if they're in Louisiana, affected by the hurricane and mercy chefs going there, if it's people on the border who don't have clothes, food, kids don't have toys. It doesn't matter. There are people that need to be taken care of. Now, Hopefully, and I'll, I'll share what Charles Fillmore, the co-founder of Unity, said about uh, supply in our world. His vision back between, um, let's see, between Thoreau and uh, Teilhard de Chardin was Fillmore. So I'll read that to you in a, in a few minutes, um, what he said about supply. But until we have all developed and nurtured and practiced a spirit of abundance for everyone, then we will continue to have people who need to be taken care of. We talked about this in class this week, that, um, that the poor will always be with us. That's what Jesus said. You will always have the poor with you. And it's been taken to mean that there will always be poor people. Another interpretation of that is we, uh, the, the origin of the word was actually beggar. The poor were the beggars. And it makes us question where in our lives we've had a beggar consciousness. Remember when your, your prayers changed from asking to believing? They, they went from pleading to affirming Remember when you started making that shift, how differently it felt? And so uh, if we've got beggar consciousness among us, then we will have an uh, 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 inconsistency in distribution of what the world has. So what we do here in our churches here in Wimberley is take care of as many people as we can, and we do that because our churches are supported by the people who make up the churches. You see, we wouldn't be able to do that without you, without all of you. I was also reminded every time I think about this, when I was working with the licensing and ordination team for Unity Worldwide Ministries, 
we reviewed ministerial students as they were going through their education. And one of the women that I had the opportunity to review four times during her two years in ministerial school was a young woman from South Africa. She went back to South Africa. Oh, my goodness. Every time I think of Tandi, um, we ask her to pray in Zulu, which is her native language, to pray with us and to hear affirmative prayer spoken by someone in another language that we really have no ear for unless we've studied African languages was stunning because the words didn't matter. The delivery, the intention behind was what mattered. So Tandi was going back to South Africa to um, take care of babies that were born with AIDS because this was at the height of the epidemic in Africa. And there was a whole uh, generation of people in, between babies and grandparents that were dying. So there was a ministry to the grandmothers that were taking care of babies where the parents had died. And there were babies being born with AIDS. And there were so many there were so many, it's like, how in the world do you, how do you take care of that? How do you not just get overwhelmed with despair? And she said, well, my ministry is called One Baby at a Time. You see, we may be only one of us, but we have us. And we can take care of one person at a time, starting with ourselves in the consciousness of abundance, in the consciousness of goodwill, in the consciousness of plenty for all. And especially if we come from a, a position of comfort in our lives, that which we do to make sure that others have increases us as well not only in our, our feeling good about it, we don't do it just for feeling good, we do it because it is the thing to do. And as we continue to give of that goodwill, to give of our, our, our time, our talent, our treasure, as we do that, we are increased, all of us. And I know we talked about this in class this week, uh, about the rising tide that lifts all boats. We are aware. We can't not be aware. And so it is important that we keep our consciousness sharp, connected, intentional, forgiving, loving, generous. I'm going to go way, way back, way back to Plato. Plato said, and <laughs> this kind of helps us deal with what's going on with humankind right now. Opinion is really the lowest form of human knowledge. <laughs> I think I'll just say that again for the benefit of everyone. Opinion is really the lowest form of human knowledge. It requires no accountability and no understanding. So here's where your opinion goes. It just goes, it does nothing except give us some false sense of superiority the highest form of knowledge is empathy 
for it requires us to suspend our egos and live in another's world. It requires profound purpose, larger than the self. So once again, we're hearing the words of someone who lived a long, long time ago, a long time ago, telling us what we need to hear now. And once again, the timeline has gone to a single point. And it's important for us to have time as a construct. We have to have that. Uh, it allows us to move about the world. Just as uh, our egos allow us to have some kind of identity, although it is not all that we are. If you heard my uh, Facebook Live uh, broadcast on Thursday, the ego is, uh, is important, but it's not as important as it, think it thinks it is. The ego is just constantly, constantly trying to be relevant. And so if we're satisfied and content, our ego is going to go, hmm, I wonder what trouble I could stir up today. I wonder who I can pick a fight with. I wonder what I can do to make myself feel valuable, important, relevant. So just notice that. Your ego is always going to do that. The ego is not something you have to squash. It's just something you're going to walk in companionship with, sometimes helping you along the way and sometimes biting your ankles. So next time your ego gets up in your face and starts having opinions, say, oh, you little ankle biter. <laughs> That'll be quite enough for today. Thank you very much. We're going to try to live in that higher order of beings, okay? But that's who makes you you. It's what gives you motivation in the world. It's not, it's not all that you are, though. There is something greater and more eternal that you are. Yeah. Isn't that a relief? That we're not stuck being our, ourselves? I'm so relieved. Because, man, I can get all that. You know, and uh, a feeling of self-importance, that kind of self-importance, doesn't allow us to do what we're here to do. It doesn't allow us to have space for that, that great eternal self. And so we are, we are consistently doing this. I got to tell you, my friends, you've heard me say this before, there is not a time where we can go, whew. I'm done with that part of my spiritual life. Now, it'll come back around. I promise you. I promise you it will. And it's okay. It's okay. We are about mastery. Mastery takes practice. Practice takes a desire to do so, a willingness to do so. And remember that being willing to grow doesn't have to be the same as wanting to. There are many days that I do not want to grow spiritually. Thank you very much. But am I willing? Am I willing to do that? You hear the difference. I'm going to throw this out just for fun while we're on the topic of abundance. And those of you that are listening at home, don't you dare shut me off. I'm watching you. 
One of the things that we, um, we looked at in this study that we've been doing, a Spiritual Economics by Eric Butterworth, is about the difference between giving and tithing. Did you know that tithing was set up as a tax or a tribute? It started with Abraham and Melchizedek. Abraham was traveling across his lands using his, his uh, resources there as he passed through, and he, he honored Melchizedek by giving a tithe. Jacob, after he had that rough night on the ground, which I still attribute to trying to sleep with a rock for a pillow, he, he wrestled with the angel all night. He said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the angel blessed him. And the next morning he woke up and he said, this is a holy place. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you 10% of everything I have if uh, you will take care of me and mine for the rest of our lives. So then there was the bargain tithe. I'll do this for you, God, if you'll do that for me. And then there was the temple tax. But in truth, tithing has been used as a tool. Oh, man, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it. Here it comes. Tithing has been used as a tool to get people to give money in churches. Yep, I did it. <laughs> but in reality, tithing is training wheels for giving consciousness. Tithing's the starting place to jumpstart the consciousness of giving. Everybody just breathe. Y'all stop breathing. I felt you stop breathing. So just <laughs> breathe. This is, um, it, it's training wheels. It's to get us started. And it's not just so you'll give to the church. It's so you will be giving. You will be the act of giving in your life in every way. So we talked about that this week, and, and I know I've studied this book so many times, but the lesson about that never landed until this week, and I think it's so I could tell you in case you don't read the book. But the thing that's important for us is that we continue to be giving people everywhere in our lives. I had an interaction, a transaction with a person in the store the other day. She had on a beautiful uh, necklace. She had on a hamsa, which is um, it's a hand that is honored by many faiths that is a sign of welcome and a sign of blessing for another. And I commented on her hamsa, how pretty it was. And I said, Obviously, you're, a, you're a, a, a generous person. Her whole demeanor shifted. And in that moment, she and I were sisters of spirit. From that one, that one moment. Now, I'm not saying go out there and try to make everybody in a store feel good when they wait on you. What I am saying is connect with other human beings. In one way or another, it can be a glance, it can be a generous gesture. It can be paying for the guy behind you in the drive through line. It can be saying thank you to somebody that's obviously working too hard and maybe not having a great day. It's taking food to someone who needs a meal. 
It's calling somebody up or sending a text saying, I'm thinking about you, I love you. It's using social media for good instead of, oh, gee, that thing about opinions. You know? Use it for good. If you don't have something nice to say, like my mom always told me. So I'm going to leave you with this sweet little thing that I saw, and probably if I saw it this week, y'all did too. The author is unknown. It's called The Train. I'll share Fillmore with you the next time. At birth, we boarded the train and met our parents, and we believe they will always travel by our side. As time goes by, other people will board the train, and they will be significant. For example, siblings, friends, children, and even the love of your life. However, at some station, our parents will step down from the train, leaving us on this journey alone. Others will step down over time and leave a permanent vacuum. Some, however, will go unnoticed that we don't realize they vacated their seats. This train ride will be full of joy, sorrow, fantasy, expectations, hellos, goodbyes, and farewells. Success consists of having a good relationship with all passengers, requiring that we give the best of ourselves. The mystery to everyone is, we do not know at which station we ourselves will step down. So we must live in the best way, love, forgive, and offer the best of who we are. It is important to do this. Because when the time comes for us to step down and leave our seat empty, we should leave behind beautiful memories for those who will continue to travel on the train of life. I wish you all a joyful journey. And so with that, beloved, let's move into a time of meditation in which we just take a gentle moment, a gentle, non-judgmental, non-opinionated moment to look inside ourselves and see if there's anything that is standing in the way of our being a good passenger on the train ride. Let's take a moment to see if there's any part of our hearts that is hardened or casts judgment upon others. Let's see for a moment what is calling to you to be healed in your life. It may be as recent as a difficult moment yesterday. Or it may be something that we've carried throughout our lifetime. And now is the time to ask yourself if you are limiting God's all-knowing, omniscient ability to heal everything, to provide everything 
love, companionship, comfort, enough to give away to others. So as you rest in the spirit of light and the spirit of truth, let these moments be gentle and sweet. And do whatever it takes to imagine yourself as one of those higher order of beings not superior over others, but the bearers of light and truth into the world that we are creating right now. Beloved, know that even if we never see the fruition of the ideal in our lives, we will, at this very moment, have contributed to the goodness of all humanity right now. So in this gentle moment, cast your net wide to bless all beings everywhere. And yes, even the ones you don't like, especially them. For in so doing, you are healed yet again. Beloved, if you ever have difficulty with these moments of blessing, of giving of yourself, just remember that at the heart of you is everything that is needed. If you have difficulty doing this, remember to give thanks for all the small things, for all the sweet things, give thanks for everything that has brought you to this moment. you my friends I'm I'm opening my eyes now to connect with our audience elsewhere from those that have written to me and talked to me and said we we are the camera thank you for being with us
And so I ask you to bless all the people that are beyond this room, that are one with us in spirit. Just as you bless all the people around the world. Beloved, I wish you a joyful journey now and always. And so it is. And so it is. Amen. Thank you.